Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Maas. My guest in the shed today is Will Cortez, one of the co-founders of Bike Poc Pacific Northwest, Bike Poc PNW, a nonprofit launched in 2021 that works for a more inclusive cycling community. He's a self-described professional committee member, uh, an avid mountain bike and cyclocross racer. And for his day job, he's an accessibility project manager at Metro, which is uh, Portland's regional planning authority. But just to be clear, he's here as a guest on his own behalf and not not necessarily speaking for Metro and, uh, and thus otherwise stated. Absolutely. Okay. So, Will, welcome to the shed. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so I'd like to start off on a really serious topic. I follow you on social media and have noticed several posts about your cat. Can you tell me more about this uh, cat of yours? Oh, this cat. Like, um, I realize in the home that I live in, the two-bedroom, single-bath home, how much of my space is absolutely devoted to her comfort. You know, it's about making sure there aren't lights in her faces. There's making sure she's got great perches. There's making sure that she's got heated beds. There's making sure that she just moves through space. I had a friend over the other day, Jonathan, just to say, uh, they were about to push a chair in at my table. And I said, oh, we leave that chair out. So that way my cat, Umeboshi, can hop up onto the table. Yeah. Umeboshi. Umeboshi. What's, what's that for? Uh, it's, it's a Japanese plum. Mm. Yeah, and so I call her Ume for short. I like to say it's like she's like a little sweet and tart. Um, but also, what I found out through through a mutual friend was that um, when she was rescued, when she was found, she was sitting under a plum tree. Like, how adorable is that? So, um, so and the, another thing I would love to ask is um, if you could just describe your relationship to cycling, like through your life. So, yeah. you know, the beginning, the middle, and the present. <laughs> You know, cycling for me was first born out of necessity. So, so I'll be really upfront. And I've answered this question maybe a couple times truthfully ever. And, and that is I got into cycling as a way of getting from point A to point B. And I was, I don't know, early high school. I was, I was a real pain in the ass. Um, I got into some real trouble when I was young. And it required me weekly to visit the Washington County Juvenile Facility to go talk to a counselor weekly. Um, yeah, just want to put that out there. And so um, my parents were unwilling to drive me. They're like, nah, you got yourself into this. <laughs> you got yourself into this. And we're not going to like take time out of our lives for, you, for us to drive you down there so you can go talk to this counselor to present your grades and do all this stuff. So here's what we will do for you. We're going to buy you a bike. And that's how it started for me. So in high school, growing up out in Hillsboro, I rode from um, deep kind of in the Brookwood area all the way into downtown Hillsboro. And that's kind of what started the whole passion for me. And I was taking some real cutty and sneaky routes. Mm, which uh, you have to do out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hit the gravel roads, uh, ride through parks, that sort of thing. And that really sort of laid the foundation for my for my like love of exploration, my love of adventure, and it was only natural for me to stay on a mountain bike, especially growing up out there when things were a bit more rural. And I got into mountain bike racing. Oh goodness, 2006 was the first year that I started mountain bike racing. So you mentioned that you um, grew up over on the west side, Hillsboro, yeah. um, but you were born in in the Philippines, if I read that right. Correct. Born in the Philippines. 
um, became a U.S. citizen like as a preteen, 1985. You were what? 12? 1985. Oh no, younger. So I appreciate that. So uh, I was born in '78, uh, born in the Philippines, uh, born into a Navy family. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is when the U- you know the U.S. military had just a huge military presence in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, and you and you moved around a lot as Quite a kid, a right? So I um, knowing that, and also knowing that you. you to me, it seems like just from what I know about you, you're sort of a, you're like a joint, you're not, you're a joiner. You've joined all these different groups, committees involved in trail running, cross country trail running, but then you didn't just start running on trails. You would like put on races and absolutely, you know, yeah. you, you don't just get into cycling, you start racing and then you launch a group that's, you know, gets other people to race. So you're, you really get into stuff. And I feel like, um, you've also been a leader in a lot of these different, um, so social environments, if you will, but, I feel like in some ways you're sort of like a, a professional assimilator. And I wonder if that's like assimilator in the terms of like adapting to your environment that you're in. And yeah. I wonder if that's, was that a natural thing for you or you think you were predisposed for that? Or was it like a survival tactic, a bit of both? John, John I would definitely say it is, it is definitely a bit of both and probably more survival tactic. And I, and you know, and I'll be completely honest with you because as you're, as you're sort of like crafting and framing this question for me, I'm like already feeling like, Oh, here's the tension. Here's the anxiety around being referred to as an assimilator because I've carried that. So I've carried that personally. And over the last three plus, you know, four or five years, really, really done the deep dive personally to think about like, what does that look like for me to be an assimilator? Because that has been a survival tactic for, for myself, particularly as an immigrant, right? Yeah. I, I appreciate pulling out that word. I felt it might be problematic to use that word. I don't know if that's a, no, no, like seriously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is like, I don't, that's the thing is, is like, I'm, I'm telling you right now that, yeah, there was like, I'm leaning into, I'm leaning into this discomfort around the word, but I also want you to know that this is, this is a word that I have redefined for myself. Right. So this is a word that I don't use to hold me back. So just to back up a bit, you've mentioned it a few times how you sort of lean into these things and yeah. I, it's clear that you sort of are 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 um, stepping into your strength and your confidence around being someone who is uh, an advocate for racial justice, all sorts of uh, social justice stuff. Racial justice, you work in accessibility, which is more about uh, even people justice, on disability right. just right, get people out on like adaptive bikes on, a, on an off-road trail, which mm-hmm. is an awesome piece of work that people should Google about what Metro is doing on that. Um, and, and there's something you said in War Paint magazine, which is a, a wonderful magazine folks should check out. You said, quote, I bring a lens of disability justice, racial justice, cli- and climate justice to everything I do in my personal and professional life. Um, but I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because I feel like in general folks are starting to glaze over some of this stuff. They're starting yeah. to kind of like, because we're almost three years now since the George Floyd protests and all that, folks are sort of like, just kind of getting back to the comfortable normal, right? So I want right. part of this is like if you could just share with folks, like we hear the word lens, justice, and lens together, and it's used so much now by government agencies and press releases. So like you said those things that that's how you, that's what you bring to your work. Like what does that mean to you? How do you how yeah. do you define that? Yeah, so it's a wonderful question, and it's it's related to my comment about leaning into discomfort, right? So. So, so when my, folks like myself or agencies or groups or any communities of folks are talking about, oh, I bring this equity lens. Oh, I bring this disability justice lens. And, you know, for me, what it really comes down to is 
what what does it look like for you to be an ally versus an accomplice okay we can all be allies we can all say hey i'm gonna put that sign in my yard hey those things are wrong and hey these things are right but what does it look like when you or myself or anyone else in our community put our standing on the line and it's not like me walking around haphazardly bulling a china shop knocking things over not caring but i'm literally at this place where i firmly believe like it doesn't matter what people think of me it doesn't matter like as i'm coming into the space that i'm making people uncomfortable i am putting myself on the line and putting myself professionally socially all these places and i don't care what they think about me these things need to stay at the forefront and to me that's what bringing the lens means right is like is making sure that you're not gonna step back and all of a sudden like start to cater to people's comfort levels right like Pushing the discomfort is where the learning comes from. And that's what it means for me to bring an equity lens to stuff. It's like, okay, you've got this thing. I'm going to press you more, and I don't care what you think about me on this. Right. Okay. I hear that. Which kind of brings me to my next um, question, which was rewinding back to January 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, there was I was reading this email thread on a local writing group's email thread. It was about a rural, uh, a route in rural Washington County, a, a popular gravel route in rural Washington County, where there was a, there's this little section of this road that's sort of like, it says it's private, but there's always this question if it's private or not, and you're far enough away from like your car or wherever how you got there that I can even relate as a white person, like coming up into private roads in rural Washington County when you're far away from home can be a little bit dicey. And in this email thread, they were talking about that section of road and then someone, uh, was it was it Kevin Rea? Kevin Rea, yeah. Kevin Rea, who's black, said, hey, y'all, this is going to be uncomfortable, but you have no idea what this is like right. for someone like me. Right. So that led to you, you said that you wrote an email after that exchange, I'm assuming privately. Yes. Uh, that, that you said really changed like the work you want to do or your trajectory of your life. Can you just explain and take us back yeah, through that moment? Yeah, absolutely. God, I love this. I love this. Um, I mean, I don't I don't love the reason that it started, but yeah, you're hitting it exactly. So Kevin spoke up and said, this is the reality of my situation being out there. And so I emailed him privately, you know, because I know, I know Kevin. I've known him for a long time. I actually taught his daughter when I was a high school teacher. And I said, Kevin, like, like, F yeah, like, yes. And he goes, you know what, Will? <laughs> Hop into the chat and say that so these other people can see this. Because he had to say it. And it he had to say it. It wasn't easy for him because no. these are friends of his. He's written Absolutely. with. Absolutely. But they're mostly white. Yeah. He's an icon. He's yeah. been he's been a cycling icon, right? Starting the Organizing club Organizing clubs, right. Yeah. yeah, and then in his wife, too, like doing the same thing, too, like having her own women's writing group as well, right? So they're icons in the community. And he said, Will, say it. So I did. And I couldn't believe it because I don't want to say that it was just me, but I'm glad to be there to help break the dam open because all of a sudden you start seeing several other people pick up, right? Yeah. And I will tell you that like on my own end, like my own uh, like immature uh, uh, experience around around like meeting other people of color because I've assimilated so hard living in Oregon was I just started picking out names. I'm like, you know what? Honestly, that name sounds different than the names that I know. I'm going to go ahead and assume mm. that they are people of color. And, and thankfully, like I, I will like totally admit that and own that misstep. But at the same time, these folks were sharing their experiences. And so what I did was I started collecting these names and then I sent a separate email and I said, let's do our own thing. And that's literally how Bike Pock PNW started. And just to say that 
I think what really prompted Kevin, what pushed Kevin, was that it was it was the the, the sheer deluge of comments around. You should have done this. You should have done that. It was the it was the explaining to to this poster that you are perfectly within your rights to do this, and you can say this to the landowners and this. Oh, and that's what I see what you're it, saying. Right? I see what you're saying. So it was a bunch of people that. Have, have privilege. Have the privilege. Have the right. privilege of. Yeah. Well, you should have gone up and just uh, right. tore his private property sign down. Ex I mean, which, yeah. So <laughs> along those lines, yeah, right? I know what you mean. And okay. I do, and I do want to say, like, as we keep talking today, one of the ways that I want to talk about privilege because people often define this as like this special right, this special ability. So in this situation, when I say these folks had a privilege, I like to say, what is it that you, when you walked out the door that morning? that you did not have to surrender, okay? And if you didn't have to surrender much, that's privilege, right? And so when these folks are posting on this on this comment forum, like, you should do this and you should do that, it's like, yeah, but you don't surrender much when you walk out the door of the day, you know? So Kevin, and that's what Kevin called them out on. And that's when we, that's like how Bike Pock PNW started. And Kevin showed up to the first two rides and he wasn't riding at the time, uh, but he was taking photos and was fantastic. So uh, tell us about, those early days of bike pock PNW, some huge rides. It just struck a nerve, the timing of it. Like, yeah. What was that like? What, what kind of happened in those first few days? And then what, what, what's bring us up to speed on bike pock PNW? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say definitely within those first few rides, there was the excitement for some folks. It was fun. Uh, it was funny because it was, it was sort of just the excitement of finding new friends. Right. And then, um, for at least the other half of us. And then and then for some folks, as they turned around, uh, it was really about finding a space to grieve in. It felt really odd for, for folks to just be in a space where it was just like all non-white bodies. Like that was really different. So we spent a lot of time you know what I call like the oppression Olympics, like sharing about like the worst things that happened to each other because you need that space, right? Because I feel like that's true for every for every coming together of people. It's like, let's let's get together, let's bitch and complain about like the toughest parts of this. And then if we can get past that hump, like beautiful things will start to grow, right? And so that's what we spent a lot of those first those first couple two or three months doing was just like coming together, commiserating, grieving, sharing the horror stories of like, of just, of just being kind of being marginalized. Right. And then moving forward. After. Here's a question. I, and feel free to push back on this. Uh, and even the framing of this idea, cause it, it, it came up to, in my head and I, I wanted to ask it, ask you about it. I see that there, or are there, are there not like two goals to that work? Let's say with like bike, POC, PNW, right? You want the group to be successful and like, you know, have influence and have impact. You want it to be a space where people can go to find people that are like them, same, you know, similar lived experiences, all that, like you talked about. But then is, is another goal also to make the community itself more, you know, make the community itself like less white on a more broader scale? Like how do you balance those things of like creating a space that's really, like that's safe and welcoming to black and indigenous people of color, but also like doing a better job of like integrating within existing spaces or like the community more broadly. And is that just me seeing that it's bike pock over here and then the other stuff here? Or can you talk about how those two things? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I, you know, I'll be completely honest with you in that we have been lacking these, these BIPOC only spaces. So in 
the immediate future, and I'm talking five, seven, maybe even 10 years, I'm not worried about, and I hope that's the case, about worried about integrating. We're not trying to make things more brown, right? The thing is, is that these folks are here, and it's about it's about uncovering uncovering whatever layers, whatever barriers, whatever walls are in their way, and like making sure that they know that, hey, there is a space that we think is safe, and we want to make it more safe with your input, right? And I, and I say that because when we held, I mean, we started in January of 2021, and by, I believe it was April, April-ish, you know, it was the, the murders in Atlanta at, the, at that salon. I can't remember exactly whether it was February or March, you know, and we held the AAPI ride. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I had no idea there were that many Asian people who rode bikes in Portland, and I can't believe the hundreds of people who rolled through that was fantastic. So all of, all of a sudden, we lifted, right? We lifted a layer off and said, hey, here we are, come congregate. And then the same thing. Any day that I pop down to Gateway Green, when folks say, you know, or make a blanket statement about, oh, BIPOC folks don't use that mountain bike park. It's like, that's a lie. That's an absolute lie. What is happening is that they are going, BIPOC communities are going to Gateway Green, but no one's connecting them to the other BIPOC users there, right? So we are here. We're not, right? So we're already in the population. We're already mixed in here. We're just trying to create an intentional space to just come, heal, find community, right? And, you know, we're using bikes. It could honestly be anything, right? But we're using bikes right now. Yeah, I hear you. And I have I have seen just from my visual, anecdotal evidence that there has been more crossover. I mean, there's just like more people of color at events I go to on bike rides, even if they're not a bike park ride or right. right ostensibly like, you know, so that I'm seeing that, which we would assume just because that's kind of how bicycling works. You know, once you do it over here, you want to do it over there and everywhere because it's so fun and it kind of gets under your skin. So that is happening, I guess, naturally, but that's interesting to hear you talk about like the intention of the group. So it's, so folks understand that you're not, your goal isn't actually to, go integrate the community necessarily. Your goal is to make your space really, really strong. Yes. I got it. That's, that's important. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I mean, kind of like kind of in a similar vein, uh, if we look out, not just in the Portland community, but in the outdoor sort of cycling space more broadly in the last three years, there has just been a massive influx in sort of representation of people of color yeah. I mean, is that something, are you ready to just like celebrate that? Are you oh my excited God, no. about that? Like, no, tell the, me how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, oh my goodness. The browning of media? Oh my goodness. Yeah, hell no. It's, I've yeah. seen, it's... It's it's two in your face. It is pretty strong. It's, it's yeah. two in your face. Um, it is, yeah, it came on It came on strong. Uh, there's, <laughs> it's a lot of window dressing, right? It's a lot of, win- it's a lot of window dressing uh, up front. We get it, like we get that BIPOC folks are users of the outdoors, but like where at the end of the day, like are these companies standing behind these, like where are they supporting these communities, right? You know, someone someone once said to me, so, and, and I hope she doesn't get upset, but Mercy, uh, who leads Wild Diversity, once said uh, after a photo shoot that they had done, she said, you have my image, but do you care about my body, right? And that sticks with me because that's what I've seen with this like browning of the media, which that's a term that I that I use all the time, right? Because like you said, all of a sudden it was like someone flipped a switch, and like every single model in all like outdoor, like in the outdoor world, which has been heavily commodified, like is like a BIPOC person. So you, 
you're not a you don't that doesn't bother you in and of itself. It's the follow through piece. It's Absolutely. the deeper part yes. that you would like to see yeah. more. Right. Yeah. Which which kind of gets me to the next thing. This idea of, you know, the how much progress is being made or like, you know, the messy venture of moving the ball down the field, making right. progress on this stuff. I wanted to talk to you about the thing that that got got us on the phone last week or whatever to chat. Which was this lawsuit passed last late last month by local nonprofit Bicloud PDX, right? So for folks that haven't heard, Bicloud has filed a lawsuit. Bicloud's a bike, sort of a typical bike. It's a grassroots group. They don't have any paid staff yet. They're relatively small. Um, they just do lots of great uh, bike activism around town. They filed a lawsuit against the against the city of Portland that alleges they have not that the city has not met the legal requirements of the Oregon Pedestrian and Bicycle Bill, which is a piece of legislation signed in 1971 that requires bikeways to be built like whenever a big road project happens. Um, so almost every reaction to that that I sort of heard in my view of the community was positive. People were like, finally, we're finally going to do something about this bike bill and force the city to put up you know, more bike lanes and all this kind of stuff. Then you got in touch with me with some of your concerns about how they were like, how they just how they were talking about the lawsuit in public and how they were framing it in the press, let's say. So I wonder if you can just shed some light on your concerns about how Bike Loud was talking about that like in relation to your work as like a racial justice, you know, organizer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, th I think the thing for me and just the experience that I have in the community and what I'm seeing is that, and then, and then having this, this perspective that I bring also working for a government agency, right. Is that talking about equity is really buzzwordy. Right. And, and I, and I can't recall the specific statement that they made, but equity was very, like, it was, like, shoehorned in at the end. Yeah, I actually got the, yes. the email about the lawsuit, just, just so folks know what we're talking about. Um, so after they announced, basically, they're, they're doing this lawsuit, here's a quote that I think you might be, you might have had in mind. It said, um, uh, quote, all too often, and this quote's coming from Bicloud. They said, quote, all too often the people we want to serve are left with streets that do not keep them safe in or out of a car. Then they say, this is especially true in low-income communities of color who are disproportionately affected by traffic violence. So that was kind of the framing that they were that they were talking absolutely, about. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that was the piece that I had just, I mean, zeroed in, you know. And they're not the only ones that are kind of using that frame. You hear right. it quite a bit from oh my goodness. people talking about tra transportation and, you know, projects and improvements. They always have to throw that thing in about, yeah, we're doing this for poor people and whatever else, right? right. Or, or black and brown people because they're the ones who will benefit the most. So why does that, why aren't you happy about that? Like what's, it's, I mean, it's such an oversimplification of a greater systemic issue, right? And talking about bike lanes or the presence of bike lanes and like the need for them is such is a symptom of something just even greater. And and yes, yes, absolutely that black and brown communities are disproportionately affected, you know, uh in, in terms of safety, so we're seeing higher pedestrian and um uh, and bike fatalities related to that. Absolutely. Like I'm not I'm not going to question that. But if we think that installing bike lanes is going to fix that entirely, like that is pretty short-sighted, right? And so, and so, I'm, I'm not going to argue that that the city of Portland didn't come through on their end, 
with completing their bike infrastructure, right? I mean, they didn't come through, just as a related topic, they didn't come through when they promised that they were going to do all these curb cuts, which is why you saw the lawsuit that happened, which is why there's curb cuts galore going in all over Portland and have been over the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So that was also a part of that. They made a promise, didn't follow through, someone sued them, and that's what's happening here with BikeLoud as well, right? Yeah. So there's that. But you can't just make a blanket statement about equity or related to equity unless you're talking to those communities. So just like in the work that I do around disabilities and, and the disability community specifically, and, and especially in BIPOC communities, don't do anything for us without us. So don't speak about low-income communities. Don't speak about marginalized, like historically excluded and marginalized communities without asking them exactly what they need, right? Because we've seen examples of communities that we will deem historically marginalized push back against having bike lanes. They're like, that is low on our list. We need these other things to happen first, right? And you would say that happens because you'll make though the rhetoric won't match the the sort of uh, the the intentional follow through or the, the actual work. And so in the case of Bike Cloud, you're seeing that in their statement about the lawsuit. But if you click over to their website or something, there's not necessarily there's not an equity statement, right? Mm. There's not an equity statement. So so to me, it's an it's an empty piece. It's just like it's like adding that hashtag to that Craigslist ad so people can find it, right? So you talk about equity and all of a sudden it gets elevated to the top of the pile. Because I'm not gonna lie, I've seen it in my own work, uh, in the government agency I work for and in just the channels that I that I'm in where someone throws out the word equity and all of a sudden everyone like you know, the hairs on people's the back of their necks like perk up and they're like, okay, well, we need to pay more attention to this, right? Yeah. So so I'm not asking these folks to stop. What I'm asking them to do is to move intentionally, right? Yeah. How do yeah. You, how do you balance the fact? I mean, as someone who's working on it with a grassroots nonprofit trying to like, you know, make it go from like a fledgling thing in the nest to flying on its own, I'm sure you can relate to the fact that Bike Loud is a a similar organization. These are just grassroots folks, spare time, side hustle kind of stuff. How much can we as a community expect from a group like that to have to do be able to do this kind of work to authentically talk about a commitment to equity or the fact that they care about that? Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to divorce the the fact that this is clearly something that people are passionate about and passionate to the core. Because when you're passionate to the core about something, especially when you need to see change, who gives a shit what the work looks like, right? Like the work is gonna be hard. Like I would hope they knew that as soon as they step forward the lawsuit, that like they just expose themselves, right? Like they drop they drop the drawbridge to the castle keep, right? And everyone's gonna come in, right? Yeah, it's like more uh, more prominence, more expectation. Yeah, as you grow, you need to grow. Yeah, kind of. So thing. so the reason I pushed back and I came in hard is let like let's clean up the message okay mm -hmm. like you have this opportunity because you have this backing you've got you you've got this law firm back there you've got so support from folks locally you know some real community activators some uh some real influential folks you've got the support so like let's get in there and like let's do this surgically like let's do let's do the best possible thing that we can when we're moving forward with this lawsuit so i'm coming in and I think, you know, and I gave you I gave you this analogy because I feel like it really fits here. Right. And that is, you know, if we're going to talk biblical, then it's like that iron sharpens iron idea. Right. Um, but I like to think of folks as either being swords or their butter knives. Right. Friction 
and like the right kind of friction sharpens us. It gets us ready. It gets us ready to do whatever we need to do. So my blade is sharp. I want to be a sword. Or you can just avoid everything that's hard and be the butter knife, right? And so what's going to get the job done here? And what I'm hoping that Bike Loud does is like that they don't back down. And again, I, I fully believe that they are so passionate and they are so ready to fight, like that has nothing to do with the work, right? I'm hoping that they're willing to be lightning rods for the folks who come to challenge them on this because I'm not challenging them on this. I'm asking them to do it better. I'm coming in and I'm like this sharpening stone and I'm coming up and I'm going to hit them. And if they like pull away from it, then I know that they're a butter knife and they don't want to work, right? And mm -hmm, they don't want to work mm -hmm. with like us or, or whoever is out there. So necessary friction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I have a feeling they'll they'll take that on. So we'll see. That's a work in progress as a lot of as a lot of this stuff is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's it's so easy to fall back on like what what you know onto doing what's easy. And it's so easy for me to come in there and step in and say, "Oh, you guys are doing a great job" and like try to sugarcoat it. Yeah. And I could be an I mean, I could be an asshole, but there's no need to be an asshole here, right? It's to come in and just like I said, just let let's do this better. Let's do this Intentionally, let's do this without causing more harm to the community. I hear you. Okay, okay, moving on a little bit. I want to talk about committees in general. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a committee guy. I'm oh, a committee goodness. guy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I, I observe a ton of them. You participate when, in a like ton when, of them. Like, when do our families see us, yeah. right? Yeah, like, so, <laughs> so thanks for doing that, by yeah. the way. I, I know that that's un, often unsung work, but it's really important. Mm -hmm. um, I've been sort of, ever since... I mean, even before George Floyd, there was the Ferguson stuff and the racial uh, Williams Avenue, which was a thing I stepped in pretty royally personally and, and learned a lot from uh, for over over a decade now. I've been sort of observing progress we make. Right. Like we the the, the broader community. How, what is the city doing? What are activists doing? What are advocacy groups doing? What is the media doing? What am I doing? What is Bike Portland doing? All these things. Seeing if we're actually learning any of these lessons or, or more importantly, are we inputting them into our work and is the product that we create changing right and so one of the things that's like just that i notice the most partly because it's kind of easy is when i'm in these committee meetings especially now with zoom rooms and they're all online um you just see this like brady bunch style of tiles on the screen and it's really easy to kind of just do the glance assessment and be like how white is my screen right now? How how old are these people in general? What, yeah. are, what am I looking at here? And it's been kind of fascinating to watch. So I've got this whole folder full of like screenshots that I've been taking of committees over time. Um, and it's talk about friction and, and progress being difficult. Like there's still some, I mean, I was just on one, actually it was a Metro committee, the Transportation Policies Alternative Committee. It, it was basically all older and white. Uh, right. So there's a lot of work to do. And I just wonder as someone who, talks to people about these issues and works at a government agency and is in a lot of committees like how are you seeing that can you speak a little bit to like why that's hard to change and why we're three years into this and we're not seeing these committees look different for the most part yet yeah yeah that's fair um you know i'm, I'm glad you so i was i was I'll, I'll be totally honest i was royally stumped by this as i'm thinking about this because because this is this is like the thing that's staring at us in the face. And, you know, it's the elephant in the room in many spaces where you hop in. And and now everyone seems to be emboldened to say, 
like to, to express their personal feelings about like, like, like they're bringing in their own personal views and they could be pretty radical. And sometimes they're pretty, um, Oh goodness. You know, it's like sandpaper and, and for whatever reason, they think that it's appropriate to bring these things into these spaces that are supposed to be fairly politically neutral. Right. And so they're already putting those out there right away. And so you're already feeling like, okay, um, these folks, and in general, it tends to be white-bodied folks are already on the defensive because it's already about taking care of themselves. And what I have seen, and I'm not, I'm not using this as justification for why you don't see more diversity breaking into committees, is is there some is there is the rhetoric is in the BIPOC communities is like we're trying to take care of ourselves, right? And we're trying not to expend energy where it's like beating our heads against the wall, right? Like, like I will tell you, folks are like asking me, are you trying to change the world, Will? And I said, you know what I remember is the whole, um, is that, is that, uh, is that climate movement, the think globally, act locally. That is exactly what I try to practice because Jonathan, at the end of the day, if I can make my pod, I'm see, I'm not even talking about community, but if I can make my pod even a little bit better before I die, then that's all I needed. And I think you're seeing more and more of that for from folks. So, so you're saying even though we have these government agencies who've put out these really strong statements about, you know, I mean, the city of Portland, for example, the transportation department, which has a lot of committees, they've said equity is our North star. And, and they are talking about right. racial equity in a lot of ways when they say that. And they're saying this really strong rhetoric about their commitment to racial justice. And then you're saying like the fact that their committees don't reflect that yet three years on from like the biggest protests around this stuff we've seen for a generation. It's a, you're saying that that's kind of a, Part of the it, part of the reason for that is maybe that black and brown folks are just not knocking down their door to be involved. Absolutely, which not. is which makes it tough because you can have an application period, you can talk to people, tell yes. them why it's important, but maybe they that they don't have the energy to expend in no. those groups. Is that what you're? Abs that is exactly it. That is exactly it. And so, I mean, even just before I came to this uh, to this opportunity in the shed to talk to you today, is. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I'm not using the words emotional labor multiple times a day. And that is exactly what's happening, right? And then the other piece, too, is that the, the processes that we've seen from these committees, from government agencies, from everyone, is so extractive. It's extractive. It's a one-way street, right? It's not mutually beneficial, you know, and I'm seeing this even now. I think I just got pinged for from a, an event organizer through the Bike Park PNW DMs and said, "Hey, I'm putting on three events, and we're trying to make them more diverse. We would love to hear." It's like what I hear is someone who's looking to extract information, like in like extract intellectual uh, capital for me, right? And I'm like, "Where's I mean, where's the compensation here?" Where's the stipend? Where's the whatever? Like, where's, you know, and even if it doesn't look like free passes to something or money or whatever, whatever that looks like, like, where's the follow through? Where's the follow through on this? And that is what everyone is holding up against now. Like, that's, that's when they put their shield up. It's like, nah, all you're doing is extracting. All you're doing is extracting. So, you know, what I tell people is like everything as we move forward has to be mutually beneficial, non-extractive. Like, that's how we move. And then, fortunately, that's how it's happening still. I mean, there were folks, you know, I, I had met someone who worked for ODOT who had the opportunity to say, hey, you know, we're finally doing these, these uh, community outreach events, and we've never paid people before. And I'm like, that is a problem in itself. 
right? Or anything at the state level. Like they were never paying anyone for their time. They're just, hey, show up, show up and give it to us. And so now that that's what these committees are doing, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. What, I mean, yeah. I had the same, I had the same experience when I sat on the Obra DEI committee for a little bit. And, and we, and someone threw out there, they're like, you know what, everyone who uh, serves on the DEI committee, uh, particularly the BIPOC folks to get more folks to get in here, like we should give them a free Ober membership. That thing's 40 bucks a year. And someone said, whoa, 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 literally said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think we should talk about this. We're talking about $40 in one year, right? I shut my camera off, said this was ridiculous and walked away and left the meeting running. Like, so there, I mean, yeah, there, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I want to get to that next. But to this point about committees and paying, I can hear what you're saying about OBRA, the Oregon Bicycle Racing Association Committee. To put a point on the ODOT piece of that, they're having a bit of a debate in within their committees in terms of if they can like legally how it would work to pay people to be in these committees. This is a two and a half billion dollar a year agency. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I I don't even know what to say to their credit, but they are talking about the payment issue, I've li literally heard it in the last couple yeah. of months, like on their on their pedestrian bicycle advisory committee, the statewide one. They're talking about it, but it doesn't seem super urgent, except from the activists and the, vo the, the volunteer members of the committee that are asking for it. They're, they're urgent, but the agency itself, I feel like they're kind of, they're like, oh, we're, we're talking to legal. We're talking... It's like the structure doesn't even exist to make these payments. There you go. There you go. Which right? is really an interesting thing in terms of the system itself, how it just literally is blindsided by this concept that you would pay people for their labor to help you make your stuff better. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great point, and that's that's really what it is. So, like, the structure already existed for them to not be able to do these things, right? right. To yeah. them to just, like, continue to marginalize folks I, and continue to be extractive, yeah. right? I'm a big fan of, of people that sit on these committees, like, I don't know, unionizing or something. Like I've yeah. over the years I've encouraged advocates. I mean, behind the scenes, none of this really happens publicly, but like there's been several occasions where I've had discussions with pretty high profile advocates saying where I'm like, why are you even on that committee? All you're doing is helping them do something, let's say for a project that you don't agree with. You should probably walk away or like step into your power that of what's happening here, that this is a transaction where you're helping someone who you ostensibly oppose but they're using you to move their stuff down the field. Absolutely. So it's kind of a broader conversation too about where the power is in these committees and yeah, and, and it's stuff, I mean, and it's honestly analogous to like working for a nonprofit, right? Because they're asking for that passion tax. True, right? true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so I, I want to go back to Oregon Bicycle Racing Association a little bit here. Um, they <laughs> racing bikes has been traditionally probably like the epicenter of the sort of like exclusive wealthy white yeah. part. Racing bikes and slash bike shops has, has been, I mean, gosh, we've been talking about on Bike Portland probably 15 years ago. We were talking oh about goodness, how yeah. how tough it is. We had a woman who worked, you know, Ellie Blue worked for us, and she wrote about going into a bike shop as a woman. I mean, so the, the bike shop gear racing side of this has always been, like, the, the tip of the spear when it comes to, like, being in a, a place that's not welcoming and inclusive to, to people of color. Um, and they've, you know, Obra specifically has rode through some pretty rough waters in 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 the past few years they had a uh, a rider in a race they had to discipline this person for for having a halloween costume that had a swastika on it at one point one of their um board members was accused of being anti-trans and mm -hmm. ended up leaving the organization it was this huge thing um and then in june 2020 so a month after the george floyd stuff started to, the protest started 
the the board of Obra put out a statement saying uh, that they intentionally they wanted to have more people of color participate in their events and, and you know become members. Um, their actual quote was, uh, quote, we continue to fall short of supporting this vision in our outreach and support of cycling with communities of color, specifically black communities. That's what Obra said. Yeah. Um, one of the things they did was they created a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. Um, and you were on that committee, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what, what did that committee do? Um, I would love to know also. Uh, you know, and I, and I say that, uh, sarcastically and, uh, you know, through, through some resentment. And so th- this committee, this committee in my haste. So here's, so here's another piece too, that we find in, in marginalized, excluded communities is that sometimes when someone opens the door and asks us for something, we are so quick. And then when we get there, we realize oh, you know what? I'm doing a lot of extra work for nothing. I'm not getting compensated for this. I'm not seeing the benefits of this. And that's what happened. So we hopped into this space. We hopped into this space. There were some folks of us, some folks of color that I actually convinced to come in here. And we stepped into this space and we're like, okay, we're here. And then, oh, and we're going to be the co-chairs now, this whole committee. And then I stopped and thought and went, wait, like this is, this is like free labor for OBRA. This is free labor for OBRA. There, we are... We are people uh, from from varying backgrounds, from communities of color, and they are asking us what the DEI committee should be doing, which feels very backwards, right? It feels like, you know, and in hindsight, what really should have happened was that OBRA continue to do that internal work where they're hiring consultants who are coming in there and like, and honestly, uh, crushing them and rebuilding them back up and really getting to, one, to weed out the folks who were unwilling to do the work and then to like to bring up the people who are willing to do the work. And then they frame what they needed to do. And then, guess what? They shouldn't have a DEI committee. Like that was, I think that was the problem. So when you ask me what we did, I don't know what we did. We shouldn't have had a DEI committee. Because it should have just been baked in. It should. I mean, the org, that's a like, case. That's a yeah. case for everyone. Right. I hear you yeah. saying like you have yeah. a committee. I mean, right. We don't have a. I mean, to put it into the terms that I am in, which like we don't have like a car driving committee. Right. We have the bike committee right. at these agencies, and that's I would assume that's kind of what you're getting at. It's like that means like that's because bikes don't can't stand on their own within the institutional culture. So you have to create this committee, which is partly window dressing for the community to think you're doing something about it, right? Yeah. But if it was it was really baked into the DNA DNA of the organization's culture, it would just you wouldn't necessarily need it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and honestly that's that kind of work takes time, right? That yeah. that kind of work takes time. I mean, even even when I look at my own agency, we've got a DEI committee and we all talk about or not DEI committee, but a DEI department. And someday you're like this would be great if there was no DEI department because it's all baked in. And that takes a lot of work. So I totally own the fact that we, that me, myself, like jumped into being on this DEI committee and then realizing, like, oh, this is not what Obra needed. Obra needed to do more work and and just keep at it and then set up, set themselves up so that way when folks in the community, particularly marginalized BIPOC folks, could say, hey, this is what we need, that they were ready to act on that. Because as a DEI committee, we were already trying to, I mean, as we were trying to find our identity and define who we were, we were already starting to throw things, like throw some things back at Ober and say, hey, here are some ideas. They're like, okay, well, we'll have to run that by, you know, the promoters. Oh, we'll have to do this. It's just like, okay, so 
So what I mean, what was the purpose of bringing us together? What was the purpose of convening here, right? If if you're asking us to offer you these suggestions, uh, but you kind of hem and haw on everything, right? Yeah. Like yeah. we don't need you to get defensive. We just need you to take it, right? Yeah. And I, and I'm hearing this theme, yeah, uh, several times in our conversation today, where there's good intentions, yeah, there's statements, there's a goal, mm-hmm. but then there's not not the real work uh, or even enough friction right. to sharpen the blade. Sometimes that friction is not something as an agency you could opt into purposefully. A lot right. of times that friction turns because it's a, a controversy you didn't mean to have happen or something, but there's also not the, the work, yeah. like uh, the more strategic, intentional, uncomfortable work sometimes that's being yeah. taken. So I'm that, that I feel like in each sort of like uh in each section of questions we each section of things we've talked about it's almost been a similar answer so it kind of brings me to not not a similar answer but a similar theme in terms of like the follow-through not being there the real work not happening and i and sort of as i as i wrap up a bit i wonder you know i'd love to hear from you just on a broader level getting back to the initial question of why i kind of was wanting to have this conversation is like What's the Portland bike slash transportation scene? Uh, how much progress have we made in the last three years as a community on these issues? Oh, that's a that's a wonderful question. I, um, for as connected as I feel like I am at times, I feel like I'm pretty disconnected because I'm taking care of friends and family, and that friends and family is the bike pack PNW group, right? Um, so. Where are we at with that? Like, where are we at with the the equity work in the in the bike community at large? Um, I'm I'm reflecting a bit on the vibe from the Portland Trophy Cup series and the awesome work that you know Ira Ryan and uh, and Christy and Clint did there. Um, they really showcased the joy of just of just having like different walks of life at the races and taking away a barrier, right? Like, so to me, that is probably the best, that has been the best indicator, like visually and, and on like an, an, like an emotional and social level of where we are as a, as a community. I think, I think we have made a great stride. I think we do have, we have made a great stride. Has it, has it hit all of the other places? No, no. And, and I want to call out to the fact that again, like this was bike racing that we're talking about here, right? Um, have we have we hit folks at like mountain biking, where that happens to be probably one of the hardest places for any marginalized community to break into because of the cost, because of the the need to like transport yourself to some place, right? And then and then the layers on top of that of just like access to the wilderness, like all of those other pieces, right? But where I'm talking about this vibe that we had at the Portland Trophy Cup and the joy that we found there, right? So I'm going to hold that. Mm. I don't I don't know that I'm answering your question well and I don't know that I've got a pulse on like what the rest of the community is, but I do feel like that for many folks and for many communities as we've hunkered down during the quarantine and they've started to find strength in these in these like pods like 
they're now coming out in groups they are now coming out in force. And at times like they have to come out by themselves. It's just like, okay, well, none of my friends want to go for a run or want to go for a bike ride. So I'm going to go out by myself. And like, to your point, you're like, Hey, I'm starting to see more people of color out here. They get the strength in the group, Absolutely. enough strength to go outside the group. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I can't even believe the femmes that are in our group who literally went from like doing these seven or eight mile chingonas outside rides to all of a sudden they're doing like 20, 40 mile bikepacking trips. Where did that happen? Like, where did they get that strength from? Like, I don't even care. That's awesome. That's fantastic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, you're saying, yeah, the progress at, at the Portland Trophy Cup, the PDX Trophy Cup, the local cyclocross race. I like that. I, I felt that too, just seeing some of the coverage. I went out there a couple nights. Uh, you're saying that that's, that's an example of a sign of progress in the community, of welcoming a a more diverse demographic than we would have previously seen in years past. Yeah. And a couple things I would say, one was really amazing was because Trophy Cup hadn't come back since 2019 and this was its first year back, all of a sudden we showed up and I kid you not, I think we probably knew 90% of the BIPOC folks there. And so it was like, hey, there's that person and there's that person. And I had no idea, you know, back in 2019, I would never have connected with any folks, like any of the black or brown folks who showed up. And then two, like what really came up for me there and then what comes up in BIPOC PNW events and these other events where we're starting to see marginalized communities like really, uh, really uh, connect and collect and just like, just emit the energy that they have is that we we are basking in in joy, right? We're basking in joy because I don't I don't know if this like vibes with you or vibes with the listeners, folks, but like a relationship or a connection in communities, interpersonal, whatever, built on trauma like we've had for so many years is not one worth sustaining and won't sustain. But connections built in joy, built in adventure, built in exploration, built in laughter, like those are the ones that will sustain. And that's what we're getting. Like we're getting to laugh. We're getting to relax our shoulders. The knots in our stomachs are like loosening because we're not having a code switch and we're getting to just be, right? And I saw a lot of that in the in the pits. In oh the, my goodness, the yes. In the pit area, yeah. the, the team tent area. So what is? can you share anything about why you think that did happen at the Portland Trophy Cup events. Do you know anything that they did specifically in case there's folks listening that put on those kind of events? Like, yeah. Or can you Abs- say anything about absolutely. that? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to prop up the work that the Trophy Cup folks did. I want to prop up the works that uh, the folks at Hi-Fi Sound Cycling Components do. And and that piece is it is it is the most like a uh, basic, easy, low barrier to take away uh, to take away like. Uh, like price, right? It's to take away, to take away an entry fee, to take away like that most basic thing. And like, no one should have to ask, Hey, what can we do for you for any group? Right. Take away that bottom thing. And that's what they did. Like they took that away. They, they were behind the scenes advocates for us. They never questioned anything. They never tokenized us. Right. So trophy cup, hi-fi sound cycling components, like these folks never like use their social media to say, here's what we do. And here's what we did. Look at how great we are. Not once. If we worked on anything together, it was always a communication, right? So it was like an intentional propping up and stepping back, 
I mean, it's happening now because the money that they got through the Inspiring Diversity Grant from Prosper Portland, this is High Five Sound Cycling Components, like we laid out a budget for what we were going to do. And as we're sort of course correcting in Bikepack PNW, it is like, yes, that's what you should do. That sounds what that's like, that's what sounds right for you. Like, and then we'll, we'll spend the money that way, you know? So it's like, it's, it's not questioning what we're doing and being sort of silent partners in all of this. Right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. A good example. Is there anything else that we didn't, uh, haven't talked about yet that you want, you want to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk, and I'm looking forward also to hearing if you get the opportunity to talk to other folks in the community who are connected to, you know, to BIPOC communities, whether it's through cycling or it's through, you know, just pedestrian access, anything around micromobility, any of those things. And particularly, like, I would love to encourage you to, to reach out to folks with disabilities who are also dependent on using, you know, cycling or anything like that, uh, using mass transit or just, like, you know, as pedestrians like moving through the space yeah we didn't get a chance to plug all the great work you're doing at oh, Metro on accessible uh yeah. trails and stuff so i'll put that link in the show notes for sure and, yeah. I'll, and i'll definitely have you back but thank you will cortez for coming in oh my goodness jonathan thanks for having me thanks everyone for listening be sure to check our show notes for links and resources mentioned in this episode the bike portland podcast is a production of Pedaltown media incorporated and is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're not a subscriber yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org support. You can listen to more episodes and find out how to subscribe at bikeportland.org podcast. Our music for this episode was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Elitu, the podcast maker. Find your own free music podcast over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. I'm your host, Jonathan Maas, Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the streets.